Welcome to Bibliography, a podcast for people who love a to-be-read list. I'm David Kern here at Goldberry Books in Concord, North Carolina, and this is a conversation show about the way books make our lives richer. This week's episode features Alexandra Andrews, the author of one of my favorite mysteries written this year. It's called Who is Maud Dixon? It's her first novel, and I had such a good time reading it that I may or may not, definitely did, delay a beach trip by an hour to finish it up. Alexandra Andrews has worked as a journalist, editor, and copywriter in New York and Paris. And in this novel, she describes a young woman who works in publishing, is disillusioned with her prospects, and suddenly finds herself as the assistant for an Elena Ferrante-like novelist, which is to say she works for a very famous author whose identity is kept hidden to everyone but our narrator and the head of the publishing company. Suddenly, the two of them are caught up in an international and extremely twisty mystery, complete with mistaken identities, cliffside car crashes, and foreign investigators that may or may not be bribable. It all sounds a bit like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, which is why it has rightly been described as heir to Patricia Highsmith's legacy. So if you like the talented Mr. Ripley or Strangers on a Train, you'll definitely want to dig into who was Maude Dixon. I recently chatted with Alexandra about the books she loves most, which was interesting because, as you'll hear in a minute, she's not one for talking about books. She doesn't even like book clubs. So hopefully this episode wasn't too painful for her. So here is this week's conversation featuring Alexandra Andrews, author of Who is Maud Dixon? Hope you enjoy. Alexandra Andrews, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me. I have to say, I think this is a terrific, terrific idea for a podcast. Oh, well, well, thank you. We're here to discuss the books that you loved, the books that have shaped you and been a huge part of your life and your work. First, I want to say that one of my favorite books that I've read this year is actually yours. Oh, thank you I, so much. I loved it a lot. I read it very quickly. I'm sure you've heard that a lot, that it's a book that people can't put down. I read the first half and then was working here at our bookstore was kind of reading it throughout the day between customers because, of course, I couldn't put it down. And then I was supposed to leave at the end of the day to go visit, to go uh, meet my wife and my kids at the beach where they were with my in-laws already. But I couldn't leave until I finished it. So I found myself (laughs) sitting on the couch at home trying to finish it before I jumped in the car and drove the three hours to the beach. So, you know, those are the best kind of books, I think, especially when they're meant to be I mean, you meant to be literary thrillers, right? So I definitely got a, a great amount of pleasure and joy out of that this summer. So thank you for that. And I, I guess I owe your wife an apology note now. <laughs> I don't know if she knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were stuck in traffic. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, I, I was stuck at the bookstore. Right, right. Well, as I said, we're here to talk about the books that you love, not the books that I love. Do you remember the first time that you fell in love with a book? That's so funny. My husband asked me that last night. I remember being younger and reading books like The Borrowers, which I just loved. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, I think it was The Hours by Michael Cunningham. Oh, really? Yeah, it's that sort of... I, I can't even really speak to why. I just was so sucked in. I thought the language was so beautiful and it had this very um, sort of magical quality to it. Mm. And I, I think I, I was just the right age where I could begin to appreciate sort of the nuances of adult novels, not just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of playing along. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I I sought out Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf, which probably mm-hmm. a lot of people do after reading the hours. And um, there's a great new edition of that out actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, And then that sort of sent me down like a Virginia Woolf rabbit hole. And it it sort of 
it felt like the beginning of like my real adult reading life. Mm. So how old were you? You said it was when you were an adult. Was this like college age or? I have no idea. I, no, it wasn't college. I think it must've been high school. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it must've been high school. One of, one of the things I love is when, I mean, you said, I couldn't, I don't even know if I can put my finger on why. And I feel like I hear that a lot. <laughs> I like, know. I'm, this, I fell in love with this book, but I couldn't totally explain why it was, but there was something that kept me going. You know, my husband, this is, should not be something I should admit on this podcast, but my husband sort of makes fun of me because I'm a huge, huge reader. Mm-hmm. I read all the time and I hate talking about books, <laughs> my own or others. And <laughs> so you're I on the wrong books. podcast. Yeah, exactly. I'm on the wrong podcast. I hate, I hate book clubs. I just, it feels so personal to me. Mm-hmm. And I think my feelings about it are very like um, instinctual and emotional. Yeah. And it's not always like, in language in my head and it's mm. hard for me to express what exactly I love. I also have a terrible memory. So someone's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know, but yeah. it was great. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I, I kind of, I kind of get that. Cause I look back at the books that I love and unless I've read them, you know, a half dozen times, I usually can't really recount the details of the plot, but it's more, there's like this spirit to the book that exactly. captures you. You exactly. get kind of caught up in the, the spirit of it. Yes. I, there's a um, Wallace Stegner book, Crossing to Safety which is one of my favorite books. And it's that way. Like, it's kind of just about two couples and their, how their lives intertwine for like 50 years. And I sort of remember the plot, but I mostly remember moments, you know, and these right. impressions. Or lines, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember any lines from, or, or impressions or moments from that book, the Cunningham book that, that you could even point to? No, I, I think he had this line about how like, when you're younger, you are like waiting for happiness and you, mm. and then you, when you're older, you realize that happiness was the expectation of happiness. That's all oh, it yeah. is. It's sort of yeah. a sense of expectation, <laughs> um, which, you know, rings true. Certainly. Yeah. You were 17 <laughs> or something and you were like, Oh yeah. I know. I get that <laughs> Wait, for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you, so you read uh, the hours by Michael Cunningham and that's the first mm-hmm. book that you were kind of like, truly captured by like Mm -hmm. can we go back to your childhood a little bit you mentioned the borrowers were there some other books as a kid that you reread over and over no I didn't reread when I was little um I didn't start rereading until recently actually it just feels like there's so much to read you know I feel like I'm never gonna get through it all um yeah okay so okay let me let me just cut you off there rudely so you said you said you've just started to reread more often, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it seems like there's just so much to read. You know, what was it? So many books, so little time, the famous line. Right. What makes you go back and reread books now? Is there something that's like oriented towards the craft of being a writer that you want to understand these books more? Books that they're classics. And so you feel like, okay, I need to understand it better. So you reread it. Like, What yeah. makes you choose to reread something now when that hasn't been part of your reading life? I think I always thought it was sort of like a waste before. And then I, it sort of dawned on me how bad my memory is. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's sort of a boon in a way um, yeah. that you really can re-experience these books like new. Yeah. Um, or there's so, I think I, you know, I think this happens to a lot of people who are very voracious readers at a young age. They just, they read things too early. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Like I, I read Anna Karenina when I was in like, you know, not in school, but just for fun when I was in like, eighth or ninth grade yeah, and you're, yeah. you're missing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I reread it now. I'm like, I, all I, all I could remember was that she's, that's it. That's all yeah, I had. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I was, a be- it was a wonderful experience and yeah. um, I'm not really doing it as, it doesn't really have anything to do with like my writing life. It's really mm-hmm. is 
just um, enjoyment. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah. So yeah. when you when you think about your writing life and your reading life, how do they intertwine? You know, I it was only when as I was thinking about what I was going to talk about on this podcast, and I started. I'd always assumed that the books that were most important to me, it sort of like hit both spots. Like it was these books I loved reading. So then I wanted to be a writer, but it's actually quite different. Like some of my favorite books, like Portrait of a Lady, Middle March. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're yeah. on my hit lists. Yeah, yeah. Um, those really weren't the ones that made me want to be a writer and they didn't inspire me to want to write. It was all about the pleasure I gleaned from him. I think in some way, it's almost like they're they're too good. It's too far away. I'll never get there. Mm-hmm. The ones that made me want to be a writer were just much more immediate. Mm-hmm. And they felt like, I think there are certain topics and types of characters that I'm interested in. And if it hits, if a, a writer who writes really beautifully, it hits one of those topics, that's what sort of moves mm-hmm. me. Like I was thinking, um, like Rachel Cusk, I love, mm-hmm. I love all her books. But it's only the most recent one that has hit me and made me like, oh my God, I want to start typing right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's an incredible book. I think it it has something to do with this, like, you know, it's about artists and -hmm. how they relate to each other. It's in this very remote place. It's at like a, you know, a turning point in a life, which these are things that I always, these are just ideas that I come back to again and again. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, a few of those things showed up and (laughs) who is my Dixon? Yeah. So, okay. Your husband's a writer too. Yeah. So is there, is there a book that, that the two of you have, or maybe a couple of books that like the two of you have in common something that's maybe, I don't know, maybe as you were getting to know each other or something that, that, that you both share this deep and abiding affection for. We have very, very similar tastes. Okay. Um, I mean, I think Portrait of a Lady and Middle March would be on his top 10 list yeah. as well. Yeah. I think Infinite Jest was very formative for both of us. Mm. Um, although we didn't, you know, we didn't know each other when we were reading these books. Right. Um, yeah. He's a Catholic and he, a lot of his like intellectual pursuits are about more, more like um, philosophical and religious yeah. themes. So I think he loves a lot of these like, Catholic writers. Um, like the Graham Greene type car- people? Yeah, like I was about to bring up Graham Greene. Yeah. Because <laughs> we both really love Graham Greene, but I think okay. maybe for different reasons. Well, hmm. that actually isn't true because my favorite Graham Greene book is The Heart of the Matter, which is really the one that like, I would say is mostly about his Catholic faith, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like the end when, you know, he... Do we do Graham Greene spoilers? Is that well, a lot? Okay, we'll do a spoiler. Yeah, spoiler alert. If you don't want to know what happened at the end of the heart of the matter, skip ahead 30 seconds. You know, when he like, he he creates, I mean, he enacts his grave sin to save somebody else. It just, it really hit me in the gut, even though I don't believe that he's going to hell. And I don't believe that, he, you know, I believe in one's right to kill one's, I don't know. Yeah. I just, um, I don't know, that got off topic, but yeah. I <laughs> But the complexities of his work yeah. speak to both of you. Yeah, exactly. We often love the same writers, but maybe have different of their books that are our favorites. Mm. Do you, do you think like, do you wait, like say his favorite is the power and the glory or something. Do you, do you find that like the reason that he likes it doesn't appeal to you? Like you just don't get that about it. Or is it just that that's not the most important thing? Or if he looks at your favorite being the heart of the matter, do you think he looks at that and says, the, the reason you like it is maybe like he doesn't feel that about it at all. Cause I'm fascinated by the way you can like love the same author, the same books 
and almost like feel in a completely different way about them as your good friends or your spouse or whatever? I don't think we do feel in a completely different way about okay. it. I just think some of them hit harder than yeah. others. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So what's your what's your Graham Greene Mount Rushmore since we're on the topic? The heart of the matter, I guess. Oh, by Mount Rushmore, like four? Yeah, four, yeah. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> travels with my aunt, I thought was pretty good. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Listen to yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Graham Greene's okay. <laughs> oh, the end of the affair, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the one where he's the vacuum cleaner salesman? Oh, um Our Man in Havana. Our Man in Havana, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be that would be my yeah, four. It's one of those things where like you have it in your head and then when you get asked about it on a podcast or an interview, you're like, yeah, you're like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never read one in my life. <laughs> yeah, I have such imposter syndrome. I'm like terrified, you know, I'm good, you know, it's gonna come out that I've never read a book. Yeah, it's yeah. when Sarah Palin was asked. What's your favorite newspaper by yeah. Katie Couric? And she couldn't name one. Yeah, it's like in that moment, you just freeze. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Although I mean, there's probably lots of jokes to be made there. So yeah. so if there, you said you have, a, you have children, right? Yes. Okay. So is there, a, is there a book that you can't wait to share with your daughter? Um, I'm very excited to get to Narnia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not like a big Harry Potter person. I read the first one and I was like, Oh, that's cute. And but I never wanted to read another one. Yeah, it didn't like, stick I with do, you. Yeah. yeah, I do think once like I'm watching her enjoy it, that's yeah. gonna be a very fun thing. Yeah. Um, we just started doing roll doll with her, which oh, I think yeah. maybe like a little bit early, but um it's making me very excited. I mean, just yeah. like the wordplay, it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Um would you ever want to write a book for kids now that you have yes, children? I really do. I really do. What kind what, what um, kind of genre or vibe would that book have? Would you want it to be like a middle grade novel or like a you picture know, book? I had or... this idea last week that now I don't think I can do. I thought I had hit on it. But my daughter <laughs> is always like um she's just she's got a lot of energy and like she does not have a regulator and she's always <laughs> covered in like band-aids. So I was gonna write a book called <laughs> Queen of the Boo-Boos, all about this like wild girl. But then I was like, this could be like weird, like child abuse territory. Like, I don't know. It just started making me really uncomfortable. So I don't think I'm going to do that. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be about your kid. <laughs> no, but like, is it like glorifying? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Like Her getting hurt. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. I think probably a lot of children. Okay. So I have a two and a half year old daughter and she has three older brothers who are five oh to nine. Yeah. And she is by far the craziest of all our children. And about girls. Yeah. she's got always got bruises because she's she's always trying to climb things and keep exactly. up with her brothers exactly. and yeah. she's playing outside with the dog and you know there's always she's always scratched up so you know i think probably a lot of other people would ha- have a similar experience <laughs> maybe i'll discuss it with my agent <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> um yeah just kind of you know figure out what the clearances are right 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 so okay so who is my dixon then you, you you're a writer um what are the books that helped shape you as you're writing that book that helped shape that book in particular. Um, I mean, I, I obviously have, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the one that I keep seeing in interviews or the author that I keep seeing is Patricia Highsmith. Yeah. I was about to say, I've got a name check Patricia yeah. Highsmith. Like, um, yes, it's mentioned in a lot of interviews and it's also just true. Yeah. I was, I was rereading the talented Mr. Ripley. While you were writing that? Before I started writing okay, it. Okay. Okay. I, you know, I had wanted to be a writer for a really long time, but I'd always wanted to write nonfiction. Um, I like make fun of Florence a little bit in the book, the main character in the book for um, yeah. being this like, you know, J- Joan Didion fangirl, which yeah, is totally yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, I was obsessed with her. And, slouching, slouching toward Bethlehem. Oh, of yeah. course, on self-respect, whatever. Yeah. Like, every yeah. like 17 year old girl like sleeps with under her pillow. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And so I wanted to write these personal essays, like blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I mean, at least I, I had the wherewithal to read them and be like, oh God, these are terrible. Um, and I never showed them to anybody else. Your, your own uh, essays were terrible. Oh yeah, they were yeah. awful. Yeah. And then, and then I got into journalism for a while, but I'm actually very shy and I hate interviewing people. <laughs> and I, was like, I was nervous all the time. It was a disaster. Oh yeah. Um, and then I met my husband who mm-hmm. is a novelist and I, it's sort of daunt, like novelists just seem like just like, you know, these gods in the sky. And then yeah. I was like, oh, this is just a normal guy. Um, and it sort of made me think, maybe I can try this. And I was reading, uh, rereading The Talented Scriptly, and I was thinking, like, this is the type of book I want to write. Like, because it's also the type of book I like to read. It's like, it's exciting. It's like a page turner. It sucks you in. But it's not, like, it's not cheesy. They're not cheap mm-hmm. thrills. The writing mm-hmm. is really good. The characterization yeah. is good. The dialogue is yeah. sharp. And it's yeah. funny. And it's witty um and i i love the idea of like um an identity switch or something along those lines mm. and then it was right at the height of like elena ferrante fever when everyone was reading oh, yeah. those books yeah. like you'd be sitting on the subway and like six girls would be always women you know would be reading yeah. and um, now you're seeing that the people reading those books in tv shows and movies it's exactly. funny how that's like come around like now. Lotus, yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And he's exactly what I was thinking which of. is so yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got the two girls who are reading like yeah, Nietzsche. Nietzsche and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that shows. And so was it well. Marx? Something like that. Yeah. And so, th- and then, you know, that, that journalist like tracked down like the, the HR records at the agency, which mm-hmm. I just thought was sad. And so it was those two ideas that really came together for, for Mont Dixon. But it really was like, I don't know. I, you know, I'd never written, you know, much less, a novel. I never written fiction. Like, mm. so, so that was the, who's about Dixon was your first crack at writing fiction. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to make so many people angry that here's <laughs> jealous. You know, I'm thrown jealous. out a lot. If it makes anyone feel better. <laughs> okay. That, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I've written essays and oh God, yeah. who knows what shouts and murmurs. Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's not rejected. So yeah, I felt almost like if I had a book with a lot of plot, it would, um, like act as a scaffolding somehow and just like keep me going. Yeah. yeah. Um, give me some momentum. And I mean, I really was like, I looked at the talented Mr. Ripley and it was like, okay, here's like my prototype. Like now do my own thing with it. I really felt like I needed a guide in some sense. And, hmm. and I think, yeah, I think she sort of did that for me. So then are the books that you love um, typically plot heavy or is it the, like, have you ever thought about that? I mean, all books have a plot to some degree. <laughs> Yeah, I I like plot. I really do like plot. I can't. Uh, Franzen has this line at some point. Um, I know it's not like cool to quote Franzen, but um. Well, he's gonna have a new book coming out soon, and based on the pre-orders, he's still cool enough. <laughs> oh yeah, we have the galley somewhere around here. Oh I yeah, yeah. He was just sort of like, why would you not use plot? Like it's one of yeah. like the oldest narrative like tools of the trade. Like yeah. Yeah. this is what stories are. Yeah, and I think somewhere like along the line with like genre fiction becoming such mm-hmm. a big thing. It's hard to know like where these books fall. Like I love Ian McEwan and his books mm-hmm. are very, very plot heavy. And there's mm-hmm. always like crazy things happening. Like, you know, someone like falling off a hot air balloon. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But like, yeah. he's a beautiful, beautiful stylist. Yeah. And it just, I like what plot does there. I like that it pulls you in. And it, it I mean, we're human and we like stories because well, who yeah. knows now, there's something inside of us. Yeah. I told you I don't like to talk about books. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry. So, okay, so you you're talking about like, so there's this idea of like a literary thriller, and you're talking about Ian McEwan being a, this beautiful stylist. Mm-hmm. Is that what takes a book from just being like a thriller to a literary thriller? Is that no? Is, is, I don't think it's just that. I think it probably has something to do with what the writer's goal is, and I think it has something to do with the ending. I mean, at a certain point, I w- like my book is a little bit of a weird hybrid. I think a lot of people reading it for a thriller, are like the first half is really boring. <laughs> and, you know, it's and then I think one of the reviews was like the first half is like this interesting character study. And then it just goes off the rails. And I mean, you're right. It's, it's sort of like two books grafted together because I didn't know totally what I was doing. And then I, I think at a certain point, I made the decision to like really have it be a thriller. And then I, you know, I needed the like, the neat ending. I didn't leave a lot of like, I think it was, I hope it was satisfying. I found it satisfying. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think someone like a, a McEwen is like grappling with ideas mm. that it's more important to, for him to like communicate a certain idea or something rather than like wrap up the story and give mm. you a satisfying. I mean, he's often. So at the end, he's trying to get you to be asking questions. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I I don't think his his ultimate goal is to like. Hmm. Well, well, who knows what his ultimate goal is? But I yeah, think I mean, I'd have to ask him. <laughs> sacrifice anything for plot is in the service of his idea for the novel. Mm-hmm. And I think I put a lot of thriller writers put plot first. Mm-hmm. So do you um, see yourself? I hope there's also humor, and I hope there's also yeah. good writing. But yeah, an interesting. If you want to give a satisfying story and a satisfying ending, so. Are you at work at anything else right now? Yes. Okay. So do you, so do you, do you, are you, are you thinking of it as, okay, I'm trying to write a thriller or are you thinking about like, look at these characters or this concept or this moment or impression even, and then you'll see where it goes. Cause you said you had these two novels that you almost kind of grafted together. Mm-hmm. Do you see, do you have a more, um, I'm using, I'm for people who are listening, I'm like a bigger <laughs> view of the novel already on this next one. Or do you, are you thinking that'll happen again? You know, I've had a really hard time, which I guess happens a lot with second novels, yeah. but I've had a really hard time like figuring out which direction to go in. And I've thought at various times, like I'm going to go totally genre. And I was doing like a detective story. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Nope, I'm going to go literary. And I have thrown out like two like drafts of two mm-hmm. totally different stories and now I'm on to number three, which is I'm sticking with, but it's it's similar to Ma Dixon that I think it is sort of like a literary thriller. That term is like sort of pretentious for me to use. So let me apologize. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that is hey, what you're, I'm you're setting out for that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um I hope it won't feel as like grafted together, like with a seam in the middle as as Ma Dixon did. And it's just a little bit more. I mean, yeah, I'm going for like a McEwen thing, I guess is what yeah. I'm going for. Yeah. Um, well, then let me ask you this. Since this this podcast being what it is, if people haven't read any McEwen, who, what would you say people should read first? What, what do you like? Like when you say you're like kind of going for... Um, Atonement, I know everyone goes for, but like, and it's wonderful. It's a wonderful novel. I, oh, it really hit me in the gut. That is really, that, it was, <laughs> that ending? It's hard to read. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a little bit it really like that, that wars, those war scenes really kind of ate me up. Mm. There is a very specific, oh, oh, Amsterdam, Amsterdam. Mm. I love. I haven't um, read that one. 
It's great if I've got the right title. Uh, I think I do. It starts with a funeral and of a woman and two men who were sort of her lovers. And then, and they're like kind of friends and it follows these two men as they, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of high Smithian as they both like sort of face moral decisions and you can guess (laughs) which way they go. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So the, the rights to who is my Dixon have been gobbled up and they're working on, I don't know where it is in the stage right now, but Liz Hannah is adapting it. Right. Yes. For the screen. So yes. um, if you could give Liz, Hannah, and the people that are working on this movie, any book besides oh. your, obviously they have to read your book to adapt it. Although there have been adaptions based on just like right. the blurb, right? I think <laughs> yeah. Children of Men is famously maybe oh, one really? of those. I, yeah, I think maybe like Quaran, the guy who directed it, read like the back cover and thought that was like, oh, a good really movie. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's say you can give that team, Liz Hannah in particular. Okay, I have my answer. Okay, what is it? It's um, the short stories of Muriel Spark. Okay, why? Um, oh, her voice, like the dark humor, the cuttingness, the like surprises. I just, the irony, I just, I love her. It's so good. And I like her novels, but I think her stories are where they really, it really, really shines. So do you see like the characters in your book as being people who would have, like you got Florence who wants to be this writer, or at least she wants to have writerly fame. Yeah. Um, uh, do you see them, her as being the kind of person who would read Spark or maybe as two yeah, of the characters in a Spark book? Spark. And then I almost think that Helen like is Spark a little. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I think Spark was a little prickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of great writers are. Yeah, I think it was like, I think with Helen particularly, I was very much going for a Spark vibe, both in like the way she spoke and like the type of book she wrote. Um, and just her like, I mean there's something so like cruel and like cold and sharp about mm. her stories and her writing and also funny, um, yeah. which I, I really wanted that. I wanted all those ideas to be sort of channeled into mm. Helen a little bit. Yeah. That's a fine line to walk. Cause if you're going to be cruel and cold, you probably need the humor to balance it out, but doing that in a way that's not, that's that just like diminishes the coldness Right. Also still being funny or can it be cold without diminishing the humor? That sounds like it's a very yeah. hard tightrope to, to maintain your balance on. Totally. Yes. I mean, I, speaking of the White Lotus, I, I thought that was such a good TV show. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, it was funny. I mean, it was really, really funny, but I also found it really affecting, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. Was, I mean, he walked a very fine line. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the satirical element to that can help be the thing that balances that fine line? like helps you stay on that because in satire you can it was that satirical i mean i don't think any of the characters were that over the top Do you? yeah i mean I, I guess maybe not which is in a way kind of scary i know <laughs> <laughs> now that you mentioned that i mean the the like rich huh. wed husband was a little over the top but but then he kind of like you kind of settle into him close to that. yeah yeah i had a hard time trying to decide if the the son who ends up staying on yeah. the island and is, atta- is addicted to his phone at first. He seemed like maybe he was a little bit over the top at first, but then I realized, I don't know. He's kind of just I know, like I a lot of 17 years. I really ended up liking him. Yeah. 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 I, like, I think get on that boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, are you a big 
movie TV person? Not at all. No. Okay. So your writing um, is probably not even informed that much by the screen. I don't think so. I mean, what ended up happening as I was writing was the dialogue ended up being my favorite part to write. Mm-hmm. So I think I have a lot of, it's very dialogue heavy. Mm-hmm. And I was also very cautious. I feel like um, I've read a lot of, um, like I, when I entered at the Paris Review, I read a lot of the slush pile, which is basically just mostly pretty terrible short stories. Yeah. And I feel like I've read very bad stuff and very good stuff. And I sort of know the traps mm. that you can fall into. And I didn't want to get into something where like, you're just inside a character's head for like, you know, 60 pages or like, yeah. I mean, you just, you need a lot of talent to do that. And I don't think I was there yet with the first yeah. novel. Yeah. And so I really wanted to like keep the momentum going. I wanted dialogue. I wanted scenes. Um, yeah. But people have said like, oh, it like, it's like a script. It's like you wrote for the movies, which I think is just because I have a ton of dialogue. Um, yeah. And I just, I just enjoyed it. I don't know. Do you read plays? No. I mean, I have read plays. I remember yeah. reading like, yeah, I have read plays. The classics oh from school read, or whatever. Oh, during the pandemic, I read um, Who Was Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I've never oh, seen yeah. and I've never read. And I was just blown away. I thought it was going to be a like, I did not realize it went so far. I did not. It was, it's fantastic. <laughs> I so really want is, is Virginia Woolf then one of the like Patricia Highsmith, Virginia Woolf, like guiding lights for you and Joan Didion? Virginia Woolf is not. No. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. No, I'm talking, sorry. I'm talking about the Edward Albee play. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Virginia Woolf is not. She's, I think she's, I mean, she's just, I can't do what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not <laughs> even going to try. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you, no. so, okay, there's a, if, is there another writer out there that you wish, like, or a book out there that you wish you had written? Oh, yes. Um, do you know Peter Cameron? I know the name, but I haven't read he, anything. Well, please do. Okay. I do not know why he isn't like a household name. I just think he writes the most incredible books. And if I could write like any living writer, it, I, it would either be Rachel Cross or Peter Cameron, I think. Mm. Is, but, um, where would you start with Peter Cameron? Andorra. Actually, I thought he was the most recent one. Um, what Happens at Night mm-hmm. was one of his best. Um what happens at night in Andorra? I think are my two favorite. And Andorra, actually, when I was writing my when I was writing Maud Dixon, I I wanted like the parts in Morocco to sort of have this. So Andorra is a real country, but he right. Cameron, I don't think has ever been, but his country is not based at all on the real country. It's just this place <laughs> his that shares borders. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's a totally made up place. And I mean, it's about a man running from his like leaving his old life behind. He arrives in Andorra. He creates this new life with this like crazy cast of expats and weird things happen. And there's all these like weird, dark, ominous undertones and you don't really know what's going on. You don't know his name mm. and then everything, it's just like mysterious. And then everything sort of starts to come together. I mean, a little bit, but he just has this way with tone where I just don't know how he does it. Like I'm looking at the words and I'm like, I, I just don't know how he does it, but he yeah. creates this. I mean, he really takes you somewhere that feels unreal. It's so interesting how great writers, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier. You mentioned tone. You you can you can get this impression or sense of the tone and it can inspire you and, mm-hmm. you know, capture you. And then you try to look at it like it's a puzzle and try to figure out how did he string these words together or these sentences together to do this? And you just, you can never quite identify that. It's like something in the ether <laughs> that you just kind yeah. of... It's incredible. Yeah, I know. And so the most recent one is um, what happens at night about this couple who travel to like 
It's the uh, hotel book, right? Like the kind of uh, yes, gothic hotel type thing. Precisely. To like pick yeah. up this baby from the orphanage. Yeah. There's a lot of weird things going on. And there's like this, you know, old like grand dame there who's like nutty. and Yeah. And then like the only way I can, you know, it inspires me to want to write. But then the only way I can, I'm always like, okay, so I need a Siberian resort. And it's like, no, yeah. you can't just like take this setting. And the, <laughs> I, I, there's no way I'll be able to, you know, yeah. I don't know how to steal from him. <laughs> so, okay. So in your, in your work, you, you, there's this sense, it seems like where he's asking us to kind of suspend our disbelief, which mm-hmm. seems like it shows up in a bunch of the books that you're mentioning here. Mm-hmm. Is that something where you're, you're okay with things kind of, um, I don't, I don't know what the phrase is. I'll just say being a little bit outside the realm of reality or ask yeah. your, you don't mind asking the audience to kind of stretch their stretch a little bit. Like you don't, don't necessarily firmly need to be in realism a little bit, as long as what happens accords with the characters. Mm. I hate it when characters act in unbelievable ways. Mm. Um, so I the don't world find, can be weird yes. kind of out as long as the characters are themselves. Yes. Okay. Patricia Highsmith wrote this book on how to write thrillers, mm. and, which is a great book. But, um, and I only remember two things from it, but um, <laughs> she says, she's like, I love coincidences. Like I love mm. use them. And I mean, I think it's sort of going back to these like, you know, narrative tricks of the trade, like mm-hmm. coincidences do happen and they make great stories. So use it. And as long as you don't stretch it too far. And as long as I, you know, I don't think it can like kind of, I think it, yeah, as I said, I think it needs to accord with the character. So, you know, sometimes like a book reviewer, a critic or a reader, or I guess even a writer might say something like, well, I'll, then there was this deus ex, mach, deus ex machina thing that appeared right. in the book and it felt too coincidental. Right. So is that like another, like, is there a difference between a coincidence and an example of where something just kind of pops in there and solves the I writer's so. problems? I think so. I mean, yeah, you can tell when it's a little bit lazy and they just don't know how to fix it. But I like coincidences that don't necessarily have to be like a major plot point and doesn't solve anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just oh, yeah. like a little bit of like frisson and excitement. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of yeah, a world at work. Yeah, I do think you need to like do the work and lay the groundwork early so yeah. that you get the payoff. Because you're not going to get the payoff if you just use the like easy. Yeah. Yeah. Easy fix. Yeah. So you mentioned Patricia Highsmith's book on writing thrillers. Is mm-hmm. is it just called How to Write a Thriller? It might be. I can't okay. remember what it's called, but it is very, very close to that. Yes. Okay. Do you have other favorite books on writing? Uh, that might be the only one I've ever read. Okay. See, I love this because so many people like go through the, you know, the MFA track and they read every book there is possible on writing and they think that's the only way to become like a successful published writer. Oh, you're just like, oh, like the the Gardner book, like we have to write. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. No, I've always thought about doing that, but then I don't. <laughs> so do you, like your husband, Chris, right? Did he go through that traditional sort of MFA track and it's like he his approach did. is different than yours. Do you guys have um, like, he did go through the MFA track, but I don't think he was honestly like that affected by it. Hmm. He was working on a work there, a novel there that he didn't like now just like sits in a drawer that he worked on for years. But I think he found that like constant, like revision and feedback loop to be sort of unhelpful. Hmm. And that like, you know, he would just be like polishing like, chapter for like an entire semester mm-hmm. and then like everything gets just gets very like stiff and stilted and like it's a lose track of yourself it, totally yes yeah. um 
And I mean, then he went on to like publish many, many books, yeah. just like yeah. not in that sort of environment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he and I are very different, different types of writers. He is, he's less neurotic than I am. <laughs> you know, he'll be like, oh, like I've got... 30 minutes, I'm going to go out to the coffee shop and like work on this chapter. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I need six hours. Yeah, yeah. Children are in another city. I need to go to Morocco. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I have, I mean, maybe it's just because he's farther along in his like writing career, but yeah. like I, I have so much self doubt and like, yeah, I don't know. And he's does, just. Is he the kind of, does he like, does he help with that self doubt? <laughs> Or does he make you doubt yeah, yourself he makes me more? Myself more. No, he's so, he's so encouraging. I mean, I say, I say it in my acknowledgement that I wouldn't have written this book without him, but it's really, really true. I mean, he, yeah, he really convinced me that I could do this. So you, so you both have worked in kind of like at these big magazines, journals, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's an editor, right? You both have worked as an editor and. Yeah. He's the editor of Harper's Magazine. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, and yeah. you said you worked at the New Yorker? No, no, no. Gone, no. Where, where were you an uh, intern? I was an intern at the Paris Review, but Paris like, Review. well, that's I mean, pretty good. That's not, uh, <laughs> um, no, but then I was a journalist, so I would sort of, you know, edit some other people's work. Um, yeah. and then I was a copywriter for a long time. Oh, like uh, writing ad copy. Yeah. Like when, so, you, buy, when you go to J crew and you like, yeah. you want a pair of khakis? Like, yeah, okay, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how did, did, um, did that job and that kind of writing impact or influence your fiction writing? I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I worked with, with, I worked for two very, very, very smart, very, very funny women. And we would just have like the best time, like coming up with this like ludicrous at campaigns and whatnot. And I feel like, I feel like I almost like honed my sense of humor, just like with Mm -hmm. them, like brainstorming. And then I think they also helped me get things to like the most concise way. And also like, I would sometimes like at the beginning be like a little like pretentious or something. And they were like, you just need to like, the the only thing that matters is like the customer understands this and wants to buy it. Like mm-hmm. just speak to them like a normal person. And mm-hmm. like, like and you only have so much space in a 30 second ad or on right, a billboard. Exactly. Or yeah, right. <laughs> on right. next to the khakis at J.Crew. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working on this new book. What are you reading now while you're working on this book? Is there anything that's like you're turning to when you get well, I block or something? As to the plot, which is, um, I just read the Patrick Radden Keefe, um, empire of pain. Okay. Which is yeah. sort of gave me my plot. Okay. Sounds like it's going to be a little dark. <laughs> so I'm reading some stuff about like the farm industry. Um, yeah. and I mean, actually, the books I've been reading recently, I just read like Wayward by Dan Espiota. Okay. I just, um, oh, I just dipped into Joy Williams for the first time, which was... What did you read? The Changeling? No, I read Breaking and Entering. Okay. But, you know, when I first started writing my second book, like two plots ago, three plots ago, <laughs> um, yeah. I was having a lot of trouble and I read um, this Claire Massid book, um, hmm. The Woman Upstairs. Okay. And it just like starts off with a bang like you're in this character's head and she's like just mad and present and like exploding Mm -hmm. and I just like hit me like I don't I was trying so hard to figure out this plot and I was like I just need character like I just need to start Mm -hmm. with character which is what happened with Mont Dixon too like I had these characters and then I had their voices and the plot changed like a million times like always to accommodate 
their character, yeah. characters. Um, and so I think I was trying too hard to like come up with a plot and an outline and then, you know, go from A to B to C. Mm-hmm. And then I, that book was a reminder that like, I just need to get like my one character and I need her voice and then mm-hmm. I'll just start typing and I'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And like, I just need to keep it a little bit looser. How do you know when you've gotten to that point where you have the voice? I don't know. I guess I just, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most of what I write, I write, I don't like. And then if I mm. feel like, and I, if I'm like, if it's coming easily, like if it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I like trying to do a thousand words a day. If it's like a At that point, you're like in her head. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you, um, this is kind of a weird question. Do you find it easier to write women that, than men? Like, do you, do you find it like hard to write in the voice of a man? Yeah. Yeah. I think all the men I write are a little, and I don't write very many are, um, they're like a little satirical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause there's that conversation. Sometimes you'll hear like, I don't know how that guy writes women so well. Or I don't know how that woman writes yeah. the perspective of a man so well. And I always find that kind of interesting. Like, is it, do writers find it hard? Like, do they just, is it, is it like, is that a specific skill set? A writing in? I think so. You know, I think the problem is I'm just not that I'm more interested in what goes on inside a woman's head, maybe just because I'm a narcissist. <laughs> but yeah, it just interests me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I mean, we can't, you know, we, what interests us interests us, right? Right. <laughs> so you, um, you mentioned that you maybe are a little more neurotic as a writer than your husband. Yeah. Um, how he can just kind of like, you know, I've got 30 minutes, I can write, yeah. you need to like carve out that space. Mm-hmm. Are there books that you turn to or writers that you turn to when you're feeling you use the word, not me, when you're feeling neurotic as a, in a, as a from a creative perspective? Um, that's a good question. I don't think there are. Um, I sometimes just try to go back to like really good books. Like maybe mm-hmm. that's one of the rereading. Anna books. Karenina. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, I don't know. Well, maybe that doesn't even have anything to do with the writing thing. It's kind of a, like. Yeah. I think if I were having like a lot of trouble, I could go back and like read like, Andorra or yeah. second place. And yeah. And that's the cost. I think it might like sort of like kickstart a certain mood and yeah. Yeah. Some writers don't believe in writer's block. Do you believe in writer's block? Yes. <laughs> Is there I, mean, a diff- I don't know. What's the definition of writer's block? Right. You just have a hard well, time I, was, I was just going to say, what's the difference between right. writer's block and being neurotic? <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there are definitely times where I sit down and I just, I can't write. And yeah. I mean, it's not like I can't write or, I mean, there are different versions of it. I just like yeah. procrastinate and yeah, yeah, whatever, but it helps to get out of my house, which I've started doing more, which is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, I know you, I gotta let you go, but if, is there a couple books that you, maybe you've read before, maybe you haven't, but it's kind of a, you know, deserted Island type scenario. You're like, you can only have a couple books and you would you'd want these books for sure. Like maybe you're going to, you know, you're going to have to read them multiple times for the rest of your life or something like that. Like what you mentioned, you know, a big book like Anna Karenina, it could be something like that. Um, I would take, you know, my whole life, I really hated short stories. Um, I hate like in the New Yorker, like I always skip them. Um, <laughs> because. Because you were an intern so at the Paris hard. review. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's so hard to do well. And I hate reading a bad short story. I just think it's very rare for someone to be able to do it well. But mm. when they do, it's like, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you tell everyone that I'm making the uh, yeah, Italian the, the chef's kiss? kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would take John Cheever's short stories. I would take okay. Maeve short stories. Um, and maybe Mira Oscar. Mm. 
I have not actually read any of Spark's short stories, maybe one or two, like in school or something. So I'm going to yeah. have to add that to my list. Yeah. Very good. He, she's got this one line. I'm going to butcher this, but I'm just going to do it anywhere where it's like, she's then it's first person and it's the narrator goes, he looked at, he looked at me as though he would kill me. And then he did. And then she's just <laughs> dead for the rest of the story. <laughs> Oh man, that's such that's such a risk too, though. It's like it, that could take some courage as a yeah. writer. I mean, yeah. you know, writerly courage. Yeah. To to uh, to do something like that because you so many. I bet there's some people who are just like, screw this, man. They just closed the book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not here for this one. <laughs> well, pulls it off. Good luck on this next novel. Thank you so much for yeah. spending some time chatting about books. Dude, and, this is so fun. And good luck with the. I do like talking about books. Yeah, maybe maybe. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not a book club, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, good luck with the movie. Um, do you get to have any? Are you going to be involved in that at all? Uh, no, I've read a first draft of the script, which I thought was great. Um, and I can give like notes, which yeah. I think means they just like smile and do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's in the contract <laughs> that you right. give notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, good luck with that. Good luck with this new novel. Good luck with uh, Who Is My Dixon. I, as Thank I said you. at the top, I loved it and uh, hope everyone goes out and picks up a copy. What are you going to be reading? Like, what's one novel recently that surprised you? I'd like to, I just kind of want to end the show with that. Like, something that, you know, we've been talking about the books you know you like, but what's something that you read and you were like, whoa? I, um, I was actually surprised I like Wayward so much by Dana Spiota. I mean, if you read the jacket copy, it's like a middle-aged woman in Syracuse, New York, buys a new house. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just like a beautiful, really compelling novel that like deals with like a lot of, I mean, issues that are very salient right now. Mm. Um, and I thought it was like one of the best books on motherhood I've ever read. And that's, um, what's the name of that again? Wayward. And by who's it by? Dana Spiota. Dana Spiota. Okay. Yeah. For a second, I thought you were going to say the index of self-destructive acts. Oh really, shoot! You I were really, <laughs> you were really. I was. I was really surprised <laughs> at the index of self-destructive. <laughs> For those who don't know, this is her husband's new newest novel that came out last year. Um, National Book Award. And yeah. it is truly, truly a phenomenal novel. And I will say, it has my favorite ending of any novel I've ever read ever. It's a great novel. I, you know, I was telling somebody that I read it and then I realized that how much I loved it. And then I realized, you know, I finished it over Christmas while also at home with COVID. Oh God. <laughs> I was sick with COVID. I mean, I had read like the first two thirds of it yeah. and then it was like, oh, well, I guess I'm home and right. it was Christmas. So we weren't doing anything. And so I, and I finished it and I was like, did I like it? It was like, was it as good as I thought it was? It was. But, you know yeah. what? You should have him on the show because he is I'd love to the best reader I've ever I mean he reads so widely and he thinks so deeply about it he would have wonderful answers for you well we'll have I would love that I mean we know that the two of you are like you know like obviously putting your like putting your best foot forward to be like New York's next big literary power couple so I don't know I think we're too much of introverts for that (laughs) (laughs) you're not like out on tour like you know Fitzgerald or something like no we went to one book party like (laughs) <laughs> two weeks ago and we were there for like five minutes and I was like okay I'm gonna take an Uber home bye yeah. <laughs> he was like okay <laughs> you're like I got my glass of wine yeah. I made an appearance and now I'm just gonna go home and read <laughs> yeah. I mean maybe it's yeah I just I don't want to talk about books and I don't want to talk about like the book world yeah well then with that I will let you go I will not keep you here <laughs> anymore unless you talk about books but thank you for spending sure <laughs> thank you for spending 50 torturous minutes with me I really appreciate you're welcome. it thank you for having me <laughs> 
Well, that was Alexandra Andrews. Thanks so much to her for coming on the show and for her long list of great recommendations. If you would like to get a copy of Who is Maude Dixon, which is available now in hardcover, you can head over to bookshop.org slash shop slash Goldberry Books to grab a copy through our bookstore. Of course, we hope you will also order it from your local bookstore. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Please be sure to tell your friends about the show in whatever form you'd like to do so. We certainly do appreciate it. For all of us here at Goldberry Books, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. <laughs>